Greetings from the Murder of Grey podcast. Where we look behind the curtain of our own minds. Alright, let's have some fun. Welcome back to the Gray or the Murder of Gray podcast or Mogpod for all you cool millennials out there. <laughs> so each week we take a deeper look into the recesses of our own mind while we dissect some of these moral and dilemma, uh, moral dilemma questions that we find out there while scouring the internet to get a better understanding of who we are as people and as always we are your guides and i am christian and i'm chris and this week we are diving into the world of cinema now movies are a great way to kind of dive into these moral dilemma questions they they take the idea and show you the different outcomes that could potentially happen from you know the choices that we make and they give you a really good visual aid as to what could potentially happen from these kind of messed up situations. And there are some directors out there that really just push the boundaries of the art form of cinema itself and have shown us glimpses of potential worlds that we could have way, way beyond um, what we actually when we actually deal with those situations. Uh, one of those fantastic directors out there is David Cronenberg. Uh, he has made some crazy, crazy movies, uh, mainly known for his body horror films. But I think one of the big things that people always take away from his films are the, I guess, social commentaries that he makes. And they always seem to be ahead of their time, really. They are always talking about situations that will be happening in the future, but he's catching glimpses of them at that current time, right? So, like, for instance, one movie that he made is Extends in 1999, which talks a lot about virtual reality and things like that, which is something that we're more and more dealing with now um, in 2020, 2021. Um, And that's a common trope that he does a lot. Um, same things with one of the movies that we'll be talking about much later in this episode is uh, Videodrome, which is a fantastic film. It's very just interesting. <laughs> There's a lot to that film, and we'll dissect it a little bit later. But that one definitely has a lot to do with the you know fear of media, of mass media, and getting and just kind of where you're going to get your resources from and all that fun stuff. So there's a lot Facebook. to these films. Yeah, Facebook. It's right there, man. Like it's all. That's what's amazing. Why do you when need that, anything else? You really don't. Like Zuckerberg has given us everything that we could potentially need in our life. He's amazing. <laughs> it's, all, it's all there. What a great guy. No, he's a horrible, horrible human being. But <laughs> but that's what's great. I mean, when I was rewatching some of these films by Cronenberg, they he it was just like so relevant, which is crazy to think about. Right. Especially since the movies that we watched came out when in like 83 and 84. So movies that came out in 1983 and 1984 are still incredibly relevant today. And not only that, Cronenberg will have a little just a little teaser as a a little peek to what I might be talking about uh, in the middle of our episode. But Cronenberg is still pushing the boundaries of just everything of, of social commentary to this day and it's very interesting so you might have some fun with that one 
But the first movie that we're going to be going into is one of my favorites. It's a classic. It's a great movie. It is Scanners. Now, Scanners is an intense movie. It's great. I mean, if you love psychics and government espionage and just all kinds of just crazy, I guess, like prosthetics and just weird, bizarre movies, this is a perfect movie for you. This is a great, great movie, and I definitely would recommend it to everybody who, if you haven't seen a Cronenberg movie, I feel like this is a really good one to start with because it's kind of like on the calmer side of his films, yeah. in my opinion, because they definitely do get really out there. Like if you watch Naked Lunch, that's a hard one to dissect and really get through because there's so much going on. I mean, even later with we'll be talking about Videodrome. That's another one where like it's like that's Cronenberg all the way through and through, and it's it's a lot to take in. And he has a lot of like hidden stuff in his movies, which is really, really cool. But Scanners is a great movie. Uh, it's uh, basically just there are psychics in the world. And of course, when there are psychics out there who can do harm, what is the natural thing? What's the natural order? The government or some sort of uh, like large company is going to try and control them and experiment them and do all that crap and that is exactly what this movie is it is a lot of that it's a lot of asking the question of is it okay to basically experiment on humans that we don't understand and it talks a lot about the treatment of quote-unquote psychopaths or you know what might be considered as crazy people right the people who end up in the insane asylums how we actually treat them and what we're doing for them and this movie talks a lot about that and it shows the potential outcomes from how we treat these patients and it is very very interesting so what what's your initial take on scanners and how the social commentary it gave on just not just during the time of the 80s but how it can relate to today which because it, it can at this point uh, I thought it was really interesting in the sense that, you know, it, I feel like it's a common thing where they, you know, a movie is like, oh, we've been experimenting when they're a child and like try to grow them into certain things. And, you know, relating that into a realistic setting, you have to think like the time period that this movie came out was the 80s. And mm -hmm. like mental institutions existed, obviously, since, you know, the 1900s or early before that, but they weren't really big until like the, the mid 1900s or like the 50s and they were as time went on and they became more full they were like testing grounds for different like medicines uh therapies experiments and stuff like that and i mean a lot of them weren't humane either and i feel like movies like this where they get the idea of you know trying to breed something or trying different uh, procedures on people it it kind of is similar to that i mean nowadays people have protection or so we're told in place where you know human experiments don't really happen too often unless you allow it but it's definitely like you know a thing that existed and probably still exists especially like in other countries you know and i mean creating like psychic weapons i remember there was a story that you know the government was trying to do that at one point here yeah the um, menu steric oats it's a perfect example of that because that really happened 
and such a bizarre idea. They were just trying to make Jedi warriors, basically. Yeah, it's crazy. Insane, because they heard Russia was doing it, you know, of course. So if Russia was doing it, guess what? We're going to do it. It's the American way. We got to be better than everybody else. We got to beat them to the moon. We got to have better weapons, and we're going to make Jedis first. So let's dump millions of dollars and have a bunch of people stare at goats, and then eventually we can make our money back by having George Clooney play as a part in the movie of (laughs) this horrible situation that we did. And that's exactly what we did. <laughs> it's just a weird idea, you know, creating like a psychic, like, you know, a Jedi kind of person. You know, it's the problem with these kind of powers is that, you know, it it sounds like it could be a good idea. But most of the time, these kind of experiments and ideas are used in a form of wanting to gain power. So mm-hmm. it almost never becomes helpful to the majority of people. It's always weaponized first. Yeah. Right. And then it's brought back to the masses later. And I feel like this movie, it, yes, it's dealing with psychic people, but it really talks about the idea behind like the unknown. So if anybody has some sort of anomaly or even if they are in an asylum asylum and they can't make decisions for themselves, then that's whenever the government or like the the hospitals step in and make their decisions for them. They change their medications on the fly. They're testing out things at, like on a daily basis just to see what might work. And the key word there is might, right? Like they're they're just testing shit out and really fucking with people's minds and maybe even making them worse in the process all in the spirit of science right and it's it's because you can't get human experience or you know you can't test these things on the mass public because it's not okay but if you have somebody who you have deemed can't make decisions for themselves then guess what all like the floodgates open and you can do whatever you want in that situation i mean there's that term i can't remember what it is but it's the same thing that britney spears went through right like the whole idea where she conservatorship conservatorship yeah like where she was deemed by the court system to not be able to make decisions on her own anymore which is just bizarre because she had a few episodes that you know blew up in the media and they mm-hmm. used the mass media which obviously blows things up out of proportion to then deem her not healthy enough to make decisions for herself right and it's exactly what we used to do and we probably still do when it comes to human experiments and trying to figure out what works best for some people when they're dealing with these very these ailments, right? These mm-hmm. mental issues. And it's seen a lot today. And like that's what Scanners does. It talks about that idea. And so th- this little synopsis, and uh, we're, I feel like we're trying to avoid it as much as possible but i don't think it's possible <laughs> to do so there's gonna be some spoilers in this episode um as far as these movies but they are you know 40 year old movies at this point or almost 40 year old movies so i feel like the statute of limitations on spoilers might be a little less but for some of the more spoiler heavy parts um we'll definitely put a little tag in there and let you guys know if you want to skip some parts right but in this movie it shows a lot of the different ways in which patients who are treated like poorly can then react. And of course, these are taken to the ultimate extremes, which is exactly what moral dilemma questions do already. We saw that with the baby problem and the prisoner dilemma from last week's episode that they talked, they, they give you a cause and a very clear effect. And it might not be exactly the effect that you think might happen, but this is 
the extreme of that effect, right? With the baby dilemma, we had it where if the baby coughs, then everybody dies, which might not happen, right? You might end up losing a few trans people in that situation. But in that direct situation or that question, the way it was worded is if this happens, everybody dies 100%. If you kill the baby, then guess what? Everybody survives 100%. Like that's the way it's worded. So what Cronenberg does here, which I think is very interesting, is yes, there are various different ways in which this situation could have played out, but he went to the extreme route like you would when wording a moral dilemma question, which I think is great. So you have Daryl Revick, who is the main quote unquote bad guy of this movie, which by the end of it, I was actually like kind of siding with him. And I was like, you know, this is I I get where he's coming from, which I think speaks bounds to the writing of this character and no villain should just be a villain straight up just because they want to watch the world burn unless they're the joker that's the only person that can play that off but besides that we need to have that human connection with them to actually understand where they're coming from and daryl revick was one of the first scanners that was found and he ended up just in an insane asylum because, you know, he drilled a hole in his head. People thought he was crazy for hearing voices, but it turns out he actually was hearing the voices of the people around him. And the drill was to just relieve some pressure, as he says, which is a terrifying Mm -hmm. thought, right? And actually that's a trope that was used in another movie. It was a Stephen Lynch movie, which also an amazing director out there, but the movie is called Pie, where the man who goes crazy and ends up drilling a hole in his head because he wants to you know, relieve the pressure and the stress within his own mind. But that's a different movie to talk about. Wait, some other Pi time. was Afronoski, wasn't it? Was it Afronoski? I thought it was Lynch. I think it was Afronoski. Oh, man, I'm a horrible, I'm an idiot. <laughs> I Ignore just, everything I just said. So. It was funny because I know we didn't talk about it at all. But as soon as like you were talking about the drilling in the head, I'm like, God, that's just like pie. Yeah. You read that's my a mind. Great, that's a great, great movie. Ooh, maybe I'm a scanner. <laughs> right. That That's a great movie, and it's, I mean, it has obvious connections between these two things. So Daryl Revick is deemed as a danger to himself, so they start experimenting on Revick, and they come to find out that he has these psychic abilities. And, yeah, like, he, the, but I like Daryl Revick's arc because he... Not because I think it's like the mo- the best way of handling it. He does go like pure anger side of it, like the bad way of handling it, where he now wants to take his revenge out on the people who were doing these experiments on him. And instead of, you know, finding common ground between scanners and norms, he wants to kind of he wants to make everybody like the future generation scanners. And like that's kind of like his ideal is like, we need to get rid of the norms and like just take over like scanners need to become the dominant race or the right. So yeah. it, it is kind of a, it's hard to side with him at that point because now he's taking it to the extreme extreme, but you got to remember that's not that extreme because we have seen this same idea with the Holocaust, right? Like they're trying to weed out a certain trait or a certain race and make something else the dominant race like that's the whole concept the whole idea behind it that you know Aryan and pride and all that crap which is all bullshit but it's 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 possible that's the scary part about it Mm -hmm. so I think that's what I really enjoyed about seeing Daryl Revick's kind of evolution through it and honestly this actor um, Ironside 
holy crap does he skill he steals this movie for me like he does such a great performance and it's just such a beautiful role and like he it really like skates that line of being very serious and very campy yeah. and he does it very very well like it, excellent performance done by Mr. Ironside like so good oh man but then you see on the flip side you have the main hero right you have Cameron Vale who has been in, like instructed by the government to take out Revic who the rebellion force but there's a lot of stuff in there that I don't know if you caught this but like I think we have to talk about the weaponry and the clothing choices. Like that is a very deliberate clothing choices that they've made for the quote unquote good guys of this movie, which mm-hmm. I feel like has direct correlations to the idea of it being connected to the Holocaust and everything like that. Like the good guys of this or quote unquote good guys, they have a list of every single scanner. They have them documented, know where they live, everything. And they're even numbered as far as like case you know, one through 700, blah, 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 whatever it is, right? Yeah. So each person has a case number attached to them. And then the soldiers or the security guards have freaking German pistols. <laughs> like, I think that one's a little on the nose, right? But they're in America and they have German pistols and they're running around like that. And then they even have like the, gest- the Gestapo, like hats and everything. Well, the even guard. their like, their coat that they wear like towards yeah. the end. It's like, whoa, like... It just, it felt so out of place when I saw it. I was like, why is that there? Like, it was just weird, but it kind of makes sense. Like, Mm -hmm. when you see that kind of, like, weaponry and equipment, you're like, that's an image of power, you know, in a bad sense. You know, it's it's the negative picture of power. And I can see it now why it was implemented in the movie. It's it's very clever. Uh, and I mean, it is very much on the nose. But like you said it right, like that is 100% just a straight like when you think of strength and evil, that is an image that does come to mind. So maybe it was a little too like exact. Right. And maybe it could have been like, like a little bit more subtle. subtle yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it at that point, like there's so much going on in the movie. I feel like if it was any more subtle, you might not catch it. Yep. And I feel like maybe that's why he did that is because he really wanted to make sure that you got it. Like you understood what was going on. So there's a few quotes in this movie that really kind of like stirred me up and like it I don't know, it's interesting. So there there's the the group that's going against Revic and it's the group of quote unquote good scanners, the ones who are trying to live with like the with everybody and just kind of live in peace and harmony and go about their day. At one point, the main female uh, protagonist, she actually says, we are the dream and he is the nightmare whenever they're talking about Daryl Revick. And I find that very interesting. Like, yes, it is good that they are trying to live cohesively, right? They're just trying to go about their day-to-day lives. But they're also trying to hide everything. They're they're just trying to blend in instead of I don't know like I feel like if you have something that you like that you're good at or like a skill like you need to celebrate it and they're trying to they're kind of on the side of hiding it squashing it and making it go away that's what it feels like I mean think about this though is that you know they're kind of in hiding from Consec or the the group like the mm-hmm. supposedly good guys. 
And they're hiding from Revik, who is the supposedly bad guy. And it's because if they found out, if people like those organizations stuff found out about it, they would be taken in and used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And in in a sense, it's like you either are going to join Consec and take down Revik and let them have full control over scanners again, or you're going to join Science of the Revik who's going to try and control the world. And I mean, it makes sense that there's a group of individuals with this power who just want to live normal. They don't want to, you know, use it in a sense, aside from just using it together. And I mean, I get it. Like if I had this kind of power, yeah, it would be interesting to use it. But at the same time, it's not worth the risk of being used as a weapon. Mm. I could see that. I think that's so I think that's probably like the main question here, right? That's the main moral dilemma that seems to be going on for everyone in this movie as far as the scanners go, because those are your main characters that you're following. And I think that would be a good way to kind of close out this conversation about scanners is if you were put in that situation, let's say you have psychic powers, right? And you're just put out there in the world and you have basically three options in front of you. It's either you side with Revik and now you're trying to kind of take over and make every like in a way you're making everyone understand the scanner lifestyle, right? Like you're making everyone understand you, but you're also making everyone bend to your will. Yeah. And then you have Consec, who is just trying to control everything from the shadows, who they're just trying to control it all from the background. And then you have this third party who I think is the true rebellion group. Um, and they are just trying to go about their daily lives and not make uh, any fuss whatsoever. So which side would you be on? Would you be on the one where it's either world domination, like we are scanners, we are the powerful ones, we need to live on? Would you be on the side of Consec where we need to study, control, and understand, right? And like know where our threats are? Or would you be on the side of just leave me alone? Right? Like, leave me out of this. And I think that's the big question that they have to deal with on a daily basis to find out where they line in this movie. I mean, I definitely wouldn't side with Revik because I wouldn't want to be seen as, you know, like a, like an authority, you know, like a, like a bad presence. And with Consec, you know, okay, say they take out Revik and then it's, you know you're at peace because you're controlled, you know, but what's to say it stops there? You know, what if they pull a Revic and it's like, okay, we need to get a documentation of the scanners that, you know, we lost contact with. And, you know, basically they're still breeding new scanners with that ephemeral. And what that's just going to cause more pain. You know, people are going to grow up with this power accidentally killing others or it drives them insane because the voices and it just creates more pain in the long run in a much different way than, you know, a society dominated by scanners. So I think for me, the obvious choice would be just to live that complacent hidden life, because like you said, it is the more rebellious role because you know, you're not taking part of either of those and you're actually throwing away your quote unquote use, you know, your power. You're just, Mm -hmm. you're 
giving away your total like control of it. And in a sense, that's the more freeing and I feel like ethical choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you don't want to be a weapon because either way, if you depending on what side you pick, like you're going to become weaponized regardless if you go for Revic or Consec, right? Mm-hmm. So the most, like you said, ethical choice there would be to just live. Just be you. So it's very interesting. I, it's a great movie. I definitely recommend that one to everybody. So yeah. we're going to move on a little bit here. But before we hop into the next movie where we dive into it, which would be Videodrome, I, I purposely didn't tell you about this because I wanted it to be a surprise. So you ready for this one, Chris? This is a very interesting, fun fact about Cronenberg himself and something that he's done more recently. So like we mentioned that his movies are very revolutionary in the way that he deals with social commentary and he's able to really talk a lot about how we handle situations and handle things. So recently, um, Kornberg got into the NFT game. I don't know if you heard about this. Yeah. So he made uh, his first NFT and he did it because he was just curious about the art form itself. He's not trying to get rich from it. His NFT is like, it's going for $50,000, which is a lot, but it's not a lot as far as like NFTs go or some of them. So yeah. what he did um, for one of the movies that he made, apparently they made a full silicone replica of himself. Um, and it was used during a scene where like his body died or, you know, or like he passed away and they just mm-hmm. needed a body double. So he actually kept that body double, go figure, um, because he felt that he said he felt a connection with it. Um, he said that it was really interesting to reminisce about his life and everything while looking at this inanimate object that looked so much like him. Like it was like a lifeless object, a lifeless Hmm. replicant of himself. So the NFT that he made is actually a one minute long video of him. Right now, David Cronenberg, 78 years old. And he actually made a one minute long video of him looking at what would be his dead self and kind of coming to terms and accepting his journey towards death. And that's the premise of this one minute long movie, which that he's made into an NFT to kind of. And what I find really interesting about this is that he well, at the end of the video, he ends up crawling into bed with the with the, you know, the dead version of himself and just kind of laying there with him and like fully embracing and accepting the fact that death is coming for him soon. Because, I mean, he is getting up there in age. He's 78 years old. And it's nice that he to see that he's kind of come to accept these terms. Now, what's really interesting to me, at least, is the fact that he made it into an NFT um, and made it an experience that people can buy and profit off of and being able to profit off of the acceptance of fate is very Hmm. intriguing to me. And it it just speaks to like bounds about how creative and and just intellectual david cronenberg actually is and it really speaks a lot to how weird nfts actually are and he really plays that up with this idea i I love this idea and i think it's brilliant um but i also think that almost everything that cronenberg has made is pretty brilliant in its own way so i don't know what's your initial thoughts on hearing about that because i to me i was like this is crazy it's so different and it's nice to see him staying relevant it's definitely interesting. I mean, when it comes to NFTs, it's definitely one of the better celebrity pushed ones after seeing freaking who 
Some someone recently did their first Sona. I forgot who it was. I think uh, I don't think it was Kardashian. It was something else. But um, but there's no weight to that. There's nothing. <laughs> there's no meaning. Yeah. But it's like I'm thinking. You know, sometimes with NFTs, you get a physical thing with it as well. You know, they you have the option from the send it, and I'm like. It'd be kind of cool if you bought that NFT for fifty grand. You would mm-hmm. get that body double. Oh, that'd be crazy! That'd be crazy as well. You know, like that'd be kind of cool. You know, it, it would really justify everything about it. But I definitely think it's interesting that he did that because, like he said, it, it, he just wanted to experiment with a different, you know, art form in a sense, mm-hmm. like a digital art, and it's kind of cool. You know, I mean. I wouldn't pay 50 grand for it, but you know, it's, it's cool that he did that. And I mean, it does sound a lot like him, you know, it it makes me interested to see like if other big directors did something like that, like what would they do? You know, I just find it interesting that the idea behind it is that like, he's selling like a very personal experience that you kind of have to go through yourself. Yeah. Right. Like he's almost selling a memory. And like the acceptance of death, which most of us won't go through ever until we reach that point, right? Like some of us might die as it'd be a surprise. So you never actually accept the idea that you will die one day. And he is selling his own personal journey through that acceptance of death as an NFT. It's so, I don't know, it's It'll hard to be put used words. as a a memory block for the machine one day when the AI needs to yeah, learn right. about human emotion. It'll take this NFT video, put it in its mind and be like, this is fate. And it'll learn how to deal with it just from that. That's what it's about. You know, I would actually be okay if AI learned a lot of its stuff from Cronenberg films. Well, I don't know about that, but I well, mean, I mean, because you gotta think, like, he puts a lot of like actual raw human shit in there. Like, yeah, if, if you want them to learn like what real human or humanity is, like, that's a pretty good time shell, or you know, of what humanity really is. And they could learn a lot of practices from it by looking at the extremes of humanity that way. Very interesting. Kind of cool. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. But I, I just thought that was a really cool fun fact about David Kroberg saying relevant and something very just interesting to think about, especially in the today's climate and whatnot. And another weird issue to just kind of think about where is it okay to sell your own personal memories, right? And your own thoughts like that. Because then now it's not his anymore. Yeah, that's so. a good point. That's actually something I've always thought about, you know. Yeah. So, but I mean, we all kind of do that when we post pictures of us doing events, you know? Right. That's true. Right. Where it's no longer our memory. Now it's a shared memory. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, there's a lot to it. And I love it. And I kind of want to dissect it some more. But before we go into that, like, that could be a whole nother topic. We can go on that one for a while. (laughs) Yeah. Let's, let's let's touch bases on this last movie that we want to talk about. And this movie is Video Drome. And, this is an intense movie. Like, if you want, like, a crazy hallucination-style-filled, like, typical Kronberg body horror, don't really know what's real anymore, this is Videodrome. That is a fantastic film. So uh, why don't you take it away and let us know what this movie's all about. 
Today we are witness to the dawn of a new communications era, brought upon us by satellites, lasers, fiber optics, microprocessors, and magnetic bubbles, for the transfer of information, ideas, knowledge. A Videodrome is basically, you know, it's kind of a, a look at the danger of media. And you have to think this movie came out during a time that didn't have the internet. And I feel like this movie really foretold kind of the dangers of what it can do to the mind. And... You know, seeing this movie nowadays, it's it's weird because I feel like it really, in a sense, it really saw the future. Mm. Not like in a 1984 way, but it it really shows that, you know, the mind is kind of weak to visual brainwashing, I guess you could say. Like, it, yeah. it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Yeah, it, it definitely did show like the dangers of, mass media right like this is a time in which like media was becoming more and more like people were watching tv more and more and more during the 80s right like they were absorbing more content at this time and it's only gotten worse as time goes on um there's actually i forgot like the it was like socrates i believe or plato or one of them there's a really interesting like philosophical debate that happened there and it kind of relates to this and i'm just remembering it right now as we're thinking about this but it was um like the whole debate of giving humanity written word right and the idea of like if you give them if you teach them the ability to write no one is going to memorize things anymore they're only going to recall and then it just kind of like it goes into the whole concept of flooding the world with too much information and misrepresentation of information which is kind of exactly what Videodrome touches on, where it really dives into the idea of what is real information? What what can we really dissect from this? What can we take away from this that is actually genuine? And what is just lies that are being fed to us? Because there's a lot of propaganda in this film. And I like the way that Cronenberg represents that by setting it up as basically hallucinations throughout the film. Um, every time they watch video or someone watches Videodrome, they begin to hallucinate. And it's, it makes you kind of start questioning which scenes are actually happening in real life, what's actually going on, just like you might if you're watching the news today. So when we watch the news today, there's a lot of information that's being spewed at us. And then it could be in like two or three days, we hear like everything that we told you that was fact is actually not true anymore. Like we found out that that wasn't real, right? Or or they're like going, like, I guess like, what's the word for it? Like, um, like, uh, centralizing or like hyper... Hypercentralizing? Hypercentralizing the, the facts to make them more interesting, right? And... It just plays it up to where they're blowing things out of her proportion. Oh, sensationalizing. I think sensationalizing. That's, that's the one. Yeah. So it, that's exactly what a lot of the things in Videodrome are doing. Now, the main concept behind the movie Videodrome is that they're trying to get rid of sick-minded people. 
right? Like that's actually the core concept of this movie where it, Videodrome is a broadcasting channel that basically plays a lot of smut. They play smut, torture, all that stuff. And when people watch it, they start to develop a tumor in their mind. And eventually the idea is that whoever watches this smut is going to die off and it's going to leave America with people with more or stronger morals where they're not as, you know, they're not romanticizing torture. And Mm -hmm. they're more, I guess you can say like, quote unquote, level headed people. Right. And so that's a very interesting idea to think about where you can use like we're trying to find we're trying to find people who are into this and kind of like call them out right like that whole like cancel culture thing that's going on right now like that's a thing that that's happening like when you find someone who has an interest that kind of is an outlier or is a little is like awkward or just not socially acceptable they get berated and shamed and basically you know, like thrown to the wolves in a sense, right? And the wolves yep. being mass media and Twitter and everyone attacking them. And they are the main villain. They're, they're the most horrible person in the world because they like X, right? And it's that same kind of concept. It's really kind of disturbing. And it's very interesting, actually. Uh, but there's some really cool concepts that kind of came from Videodrome that I think really speak to a lot of the stuff that's going on today even more. Um, and there's a few quotes that I pulled that I absolutely love from this. And one of them, I think, really speaks to today's terms because everything, your whole life is online right now. Your whole life is through social media. And how many of us really look at it? How many of us have our real names out there as our usernames? And I can tell you, I don't. I know I don't. Like I had, I had stupid names for my stuff. I mean, <laughs> one of the main names I go by is Meow Pow. Like, come on, right? Or I use my middle name, which is kind of close to me being as genuine as I feel comfortable with, right? I mean, it's a cool name. It kind of works. Yeah, so you know, it's, it's unique. It fits. It fits. <laughs> I got lucky with that one, I guess. Right. But the thing is, is that so we see it a lot where we have like, you know, we saw it too with like even scene kids. Remember that whole stupid scene where it's like Katie catastrophic and, you know, Adam atomic and all that stupid shit that was going on. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a character in Videodrome. His name is Dr. Oblivion. And he had a very interesting quote about it. So he says, of course, Oblivion is not the name I was born with. It's my television name. And soon all of us will have special names. And I think that's a fantastic quote right there. I think it's it's great because it really, like, especially during this time. You got to remember, this was 1984. So internet wasn't really a thing. We didn't have AOLs, like, chatting and all that shit. And the whole, like, a- like anonymity online. Like, that wasn't a thing yet. But they really, like, he really caught on to that where you can be anyone you want online. You can say whatever the hell you want. You can like whatever you want. You can watch whatever the fuck you want. You can just be as disturbing as you want online. But guess what? It probably can't get tied back to you because that's not your real name. Like that's your online name. That's your Mm -hmm. television name as Dr. Oblivion puts it. So I feel like that's such a great and like such a core intense thing to call out in 1984. Like the, so long ago to be able to really like like fucking like Nostradamus level predict <laughs> this sense of like it's like people hiding online is very very interesting and I absolutely 
love that quote. It's just so, so intense. And I feel like, I mean, we've had this conversation as well where we've even talked about changing our screen names, um, especially with everything that we're making. And I feel like to be more genuine, uh, to even just put our real names out there, because I feel like that if we're forced to do that, then you're forced to kind of second guess everything that you're going to be doing. And I'm not saying like second guess it as like a bad thing, like just be more genuine and not overreact about things. Right. Yeah. And I mean, another thing, too, and this is how I look at it with using your real name instead of a screen name is more of like the security side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like when you have your name out there and because you're going to have your face out there, you know, there could be groups out there that are going to dox you or, you know, like find information about you. And it's like, obviously, if you're not creating anything like controversial no one's really gonna pick you out and you know threaten you with anything but still like for me like a thought of is like well i don't want people to know like too much of my personal life you know like yeah in a sense but having at least you know a normal sounding name you know people will take you more seriously you know Mm -hmm. we're not in a we're not in the future enough where, you know, everyone has a screen name and uh, real names are dead. You know, like mm-hmm. we're not in that complete offline online world yet. Like we're still in that like blending mm-hmm. era, I think. I think in the future when more mm, it's kind of hard to describe, but like metaverse kind of like VR you know, chat rooms where like instead ready of player one style, right? Yeah. Like, instead yeah. of posting on Facebook or Twitter, you're, you're in like a VR set or even just on your computer. And it's like a Roblox or Minecraft kind of thing where you run around, talk to people, play mini games, like that kind of stuff, you know, like mm-hmm. instead of typing, you just, you know, you can jump on your mic, talk. And I think, the future is going to be like that. And at that point, we're all going to have screen names. Yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. It's it's a it's a lot to kind of dissect and really like think about. And you really have to think about what your purpose is online at this point, right? Like, what's your ultimate goal here? Are you trying to yep. be you like or are you trying to be someone else? Right. And that's kind of it's a tough thing to deal with. And I I feel like I got lucky whenever I was going through high school because I've mentioned this before, maybe not on this show, maybe it was on a different show. But in high school, a lot of people didn't know my real name. Um, I went by a nickname that sounded a lot like a real person's name. And a lot of people didn't know that my name was Christian. Right. They thought Hmm. my name was Wendell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> which Wendell. was kind of fun. Yeah, it was weird. And how I got that nickname is a stupid story. But it, it was the idea of like, I was able to be somebody else. And whenever I found out that even some teachers thought that that wasn't my real name, or they started calling me by this nickname, I was able to kind of be someone else and kind of change my actions. And reflecting on it, I did not like a lot of the choices that I made. Uh, whenever I was doing that. And I feel like that might Hmm. be why I try and stay a little closer to who I am out in the real world whenever it comes to screen names and stuff like that, because I want to have that sense of being genuine and remind myself to stay genuine, right? I don't want to have that that chance or that choice 
really of being an asshole or saying something that I really shouldn't whenever it's something that I would never say in a face-to-face interaction. Because I feel like that's what a lot of, like with it, businesses and everything going online now, like you have to be, you have to treat all these conversations, even when it's messages over Instagram or whatever it may be, you have to treat these conversations as if you were in a real world situation, yep. in my opinion. So it's, I feel like I got kind of lucky with that, but I don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot to dissect and you basically just have to ask yourself, what's your purpose on this channel? Like, what's your purpose online right now? Are you trying to be you or are you trying to escape and be someone else? Which is totally fine too. It's just another way of doing things. So, yeah. Now, I want to end this episode with one final quote from Videodrome that I think is fantastic and a little conversation on it. But the quote is, and it kind of sums up the whole movie with the dangers of mass media, the flood of information um, that would, we're seeing now where it's hard to tell what's real, what's not, um, what like, and it, how a lot of these conspiracy theories, a lot of these ideas of what's true and what's not, like how we shape our reality today. And that little quote is... It's also by Dr. Levine as well, and it's in the same core. So the quote is, the TV has become the retina of our mind's eye. Whoa. I just wanted to let that one soak in a little bit. Because that is such a great, strong quote, because it's saying that media has basically created your reality. It shaped everything that you see today and how you understand the world around you. And it's such a great way of explaining it in such a simple term. And it's it's just perfect. And I feel like Cronenberg is really great at kind of coming up with these quick little simple lines that really sum up everything in a very beautiful package. And that is definitely one of the ones that really stands out to me. The TV has become the retina of our mind's eye. Like, it's just too good. And it's just perfect. And I feel like that one really travels through time, right? Like that was written in 1984, first said, and it's still so relevant today, almost 40 years later. It's Mm -hmm. fantastic. But yeah, all right. So I think that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, But this was our little dive into some Cronenberg films. We want to do some more episodes like this where we kind of pick apart some movies because I feel like we've had this conversation a lot where we, we feel like movies are really great representations of moral dilemmas being played out. And it would be, it's really fun to kind of dissect them and see and think about what other choices they might have made and kind of see how it relates to day-to-day life as well. So, but we hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, um, please be sure to tell a friend, share it with everybody, because that's the best way for our show to continue to grow. And we want to say thank you so much to everyone that has shared the show so far. And we are seeing some definite growth. And it's, yeah, so thank you, thank you, thank you. We appreciate you all. And we hope that you have enjoyed learning a little bit more about yourself in this process. So with that, we will talk to you guys next week. Uh, where we dive into some more moral dilemmas and we help guide you through the deep recesses of your own minds. With that, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.